Well, good morning, everyone. It's a fine, glorious day. I think maybe Juan jinxed us a little bit. I hear snow is coming. <laughs> yeah, next week or something like that. Enough, all right, enough with it, you know. It's all right, man. It's okay. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. I was going to say, um, if you ever come without one, there's always Bibles available in the back. Matthew chapter 12. We're continuing our study through the life and the ministry of Jesus. Verse 1, at that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through through the corn and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and did eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. He said unto them, have you not read what David did when he was a hungered and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. And have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day, the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are blameless? I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what it means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath day. Would you be kind enough to stand with me one more time? Bible in hand. Let's pray over our text. Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the written word, the spoken word, God. The spoken word as your spirit just again, just relates to the word to our hearts. The written word, Lord, that we have before us. This morning, God, we pray that you would hallow it, God, set it apart for for God, for our increase, God, in um, learning of you and coming closer to you to know your heart on issues. Lord, Father, we never want to misrepresent you in any way, God, Father, wherever we are to just show mercy, Lord, we want to be like you or grace. We want to be like you. Or whether we need to stand our ground on certain issues, God, we want to stand firm as you did even here in this text. So again, Father, we pray that you would anoint your word to our minds and to our hearts. And if there's anyone here today, I don't know, Lord, maybe they're just kind of laden down with the struggles, God, of this world. And I pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would just show them for such a time as this. Just set it at your feet. That they might just gaze in your eyes today, God, somehow. Please, again, Father, if there's anything that would be a shortcoming, we lay that at the cross as well and forgive us. Father, again, ask for that anointing that only your spirit can give in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen, amen. Thank you. In this uh, passage, we see a conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, and um, particularly with a group called the Pharisees. Now, during that time period, there was the Pharisees and the 
they were the legalists. They're the ones not only kept what they said was the Mosaic law, but they also kept the written law and the traditional laws, things that were kind of handed down throughout some of the generations there. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. They kind of, well, they didn't believe in anything, to be quite honest with you. Um, They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't even really believe in the eternal. And that's why they were sad, you see. Thus, we get the term Sadducees. But anyway, first service really laughed about that. Um, the scribes were the um, were the religious attorneys of the day interpreting the scriptures, and uh, you know again it's there this conflict conflict is over a particular subject known as the Sabbath day, and just by the way when you look at the word Sabbath in the Old Testament and also in the New, that it can also be trans translated intermission. You know, a time period that's just set aside and uh, you're kind of taking an intermission from just life. And it's a time of reflection and the, the, um, the Lord calls it the Sabbath day and it was to be a day of rest. Let's look at some of the details just in verse 1 here. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Don't know what kind of uh, fruit it was, whether it was barley or wheat. Um, But the the disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and did eat. All we know is, and it kind of gives us a timeline, that it must have been mature enough to do it, to be able to take it and to eat it. Um, The way they would do this, by the way, is they would take that grain and then they would rub it in their hands like this. And then very gently just kind of blow away the chaff and it would just leave the barley or the wheat there and then they would eat it for to sustain them and to give them some nourishment to keep on going in their travels Um, but again the important thing to notice here it all happened during the sabbath Again, the, the Jewish Sabbath was on a Saturday, and, and if this thing had uh, happened on any other day, this account would never have been penned out. The offense is that they had broken this, the law as it relates to the Sabbath day, which um, it is, well, we'll see as we go on, really not the issue. Um, it's about the, the it's about the Sabbath, and so verse two says, "And when the Pharisees saw it, and I kind of wonder why they were even there." And I come on, it's almost like it's obvious. This is setup. These, these little guys are all crouched down in the, the the wheat or the barley, and as soon as they begin to, Pah, we got you, you know. And uh, but it is a public rebuke. Uh, they were um, rebuking uh, Jesus and the disciples. For allowing them, you know, to go ahead and do such a thing as plucking and then rubbing and blowing it away. Uh, but the, the honest truth is, it really isn't against the law at all. If you look at Deuteronomy, well, don't turn there, please. We don't have the time, but write it down in your cro- as a cross-reference. Um, in Deuteronomy twenty three twenty four, I'll read it to you. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you, you may eat the grapes... Uh, to fill thine own pleasure, whatever need you have. But thou shalt not put in a vessel. In other words, you don't start harvesting it. You know, that's not why it's there. 
uh, verse 25 says, when you come into the standing corn, like our disciples and the Lord's doing, of your neighbor, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not move a sickle unto the, thy neighbor's standing corn. So you're not there going, oh, good, the pickings, you know, and just take what you want. That wasn't the purpose of that law at all. The purpose of that law was if you are traveling, you know, instead of just becoming so faint uh, of hunger or whatever, you, you, God said, in my law, you're allowed to go ahead and pluck from your neighbors, do the whole threshing and blowing away thing, and you're not breaking anyone's law there. Um, now, they looked at it, these religious leaders, and the way they looked at um, why they said they were breaking the law, again, to... Um, to take this thing and to pull it was considered um, harvesting. To rub it, it was considered threshing. And then to blow it away uh, was con considered actually almost like labor. And so they're saying there is no labor on uh, the Sabbath. And again, the conflict between the Jewish leaders and the way they viewed the Sabbath was totally different than the way Jesus was viewing the Sabbath. But the truth of the matter is this whole conflict with breaking the laws and, and doing what they thought was unlawful actually is going to direct Jesus to the cross. You know, it's not over. It wasn't issues other than you are breaking our traditions and you are breaking our laws. And that was the main reason why they started heading towards the cross with him. And another reason, too, was out of, of jealousy. A lot of people were sitting there listening to Jesus' teaching. But for most part, they just did not like Jesus' teaching against their laws and their traditions. Now, when we get really down to the, um, the basic of where this all came from, back in Genesis chapter 2, we see that God created the world and the, and the, the heavens and, the, and the, the animals in how many days? Six days. And then it tells us that God rested on the seventh, seventh day. But the reason he rested, it was not that, that he got tuckered out. He's God. He don't get tired. It was a time for him to look back. And if you remember that passage, he saw everything he created, right? He's reflecting and he said, this is good. So the, from the very get-go, the reason why God wanted the Sabbath there was for men and women and children to have a time, a, a, just a day out of the week. Where they could just sit down and reflect on God's mercy and his grace and his love and his faithfulness throughout the rest of the week. You know, leave Saturday behind and, then, and don't worry about, you know, uh, Sunday. That was their first day of the week. And it's just, I just want you to think about my goodness. And um, but, but what they did to it was almost, um, it was almost uh, criminal. It just wasn't honest. It wasn't fair. God never intended at all for it to be a punitive. He never entired at all to make it something like an undue hardship. Not, that was not the reason for the Sabbath day at all. Moses put it like this in Exodus chapter 20. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That word holy literally means just keep it separate. 
Six days you're going to work, do, do your work. Seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and you shall not do any work. I don't want your sons, your daughters, your men servants, your maid servants. I don't even want your cows doing anything. And it says that right here, Exodus chapter 20. I don't want your dog barking too much, just nothing. I want you just to relax, and I want you to just use it as a time of reflection. And I'll tell you something, he created it for the good and not for the bad. Um, he wanted to bless his people with it. He wanted them to rest. He wanted them to have a day where they could just experience his presence and his and uh, experience his faithfulness. In Mark chapter two, verse 27, Jesus says this, that Sabbath was not made for man. You know, that's what the law does. It just reverses the whole thing. But um, the Sabbath was uh, uh, not man for the Sabbath. I'm sorry. Sabbath was not made for man and, uh, and, and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God gave us Sabbath to bless us, not to create hardship. Um, then between the time of Moses and these religious leaders, they had added so many traditions and man-made rules that the Sabbath day completely ceased from being, being a blessing. In fact, in their mindset, they thought it was one of the hardest days uh, of the week. Can just imagine that. And isn't that like the enemy anyway? Something that God just wants to bless his people with, where they could just enjoy his presence. The enemy somehow, through legalism, makes it almost now, I got to serve. I got to be a servant to it. And it becomes, it just becomes harder and harder and harder. Now, um, when we read uh, the law of God, and the, the first uh, five books of the Bible, the Genesis through um, um, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, what we find in, in, in its entirety is we find five, uh, 613 um, crisp, um, concise um, commands and principles and just this is how I want you to be as my God, as my people. Then and, and, they, and then uh, a little later on, they came up with these things called a verbal exposition. And that was known as the Midrash. Now, the Midrash was uh, just, again, a verbal exposition, um, ver uh, you know, thoughts. But around 200 years later, they came up with a thing called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was a rabbinical teaching on the Torah, the five first book, and they added it with the Midrash. And then a little after that, they came up with what they called the, pardon me, the Gamera, which was um, a, a combination of interpretation upon another interpretation, then upon the Midrash and the Midrash, and they come up with all this. And what they come up with is just mind-blowing. They come up with 523 books with over 23 volumes of literature trying to tell you and tell, well, try to tell the children of Israel what it means to be in touch with God's heart. See, the 613 crisp and direct, concise commands and, and God's was how to draw you into my presence and how you can experience me, how you can have a day of rest and have no other gods with it. I mean, it was to bring you into a relationship with God. And then people began to make comments on it. 
And they began to make verbal commentary. And then they started to write different literatures and exposition. Then they're interpreting what had already been, had been interpreted. And then they come up. And before you know it, there's so much there that one's mind is so blown that once something that was to be enjoyable, now you almost hate thinking, oh man, tomorrow's Sabbath. What do I got to do? And it's just a bummer. But you see, that's what the law does. Paul alludes that in Galatians. He alludes to it in, in um, well, no, he doesn't just allude to it. He says it, that the letter of the law, man-made laws and traditions and all, it just it'll destroy a, your relationship with God. It'll destroy the intimacy that you could have with him, hearing his voice. You know what you'll hear? Well, you better, you, you better not do this and you better not do that. And if you really want to know God, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. You know, the, I think the greatest crime of all that is that they had taken all their misna, all their midrash, all the gamara, all this. And then they began to make comments on each and other's teachings, you know. And, and they began to even um, take their teaching, their oral tradition, their teaching, and put it above the word of God. And it was, it's a crime. Why is it a crime? Well, it's not honest. You're, you're just giving someone man-made ideas, rules and regulation, and God never once thought of that. Never once penned it out by any inspired author. Nothing. And uh, over and over what you see in this text, have you not read? Don't you know the word? He's almost, in a way, forcing them back into making them just look at your Bible, look at the Torah, look at the law. Everything else has been added to it. And I think some of the laws they created, these man-made traditions, one of them is you can't wear false teeth. I guess they had dentures back then. It's because it's in the it's in the the law, you know, their law. They, they were afraid that if you had tripped and your teeth fell out, someone would pick it up and you're you're causing them to bear a burden. Really, I wouldn't touch your teeth anyway. I don't know why they. Would. But um, another one is, ladies, you weren't allowed to wear any jewelry. Not not that God frowned on it, but what happens if another friend of yours that kind of admired these ornamental pins and stuff and you were tempted to give it to them now you're now they're carrying your burden another one was um they were forbidden to look in a mirror because they might just see a gray hair and you'd be tempted to pull it out because that's called plucking or something I, i don't know there's actually 39 direct laws when it comes to even bearing a weight uh, they had to come up with, okay, well, what's heavy? You know, what is that? What is the weight? How do you, what, what scale do you put the, well, they came up with this. They said anything more uh, that weighs more than a dry fig is carrying a burden. I, I don't know if I've ever even had a dry fig in my hand. I suppose I have, but can't be all that heavy. Um, you, they have in the early part of their laws, their traditions, that if you, you weren't allowed to throw anything in the air and catch it in the, with the right hand and then catch it in the right hand. Well, everyone went, whoo-hoo, so they threw it up in the right and caught it with the left, thinking they were okay. So they had to go back to the drawing board and write up a new law. 
You, you weren't allowed to drag a chair across the dirt because that constituted farming. You weren't allowed to scrape sh your shoes off or your sandals off with a sharp instrument. You weren't even allowed to pluck a piece of grass or blade of grass. And, um, and here's the one that really got me. You weren't allowed to spit on a Sabbath. Well, if you did, it had to be on a hard surface because if you did it in the mud and it rolled, it would be furrowing out a piece of ground there. I know you guys are going, that's so ridiculous. Well, what really makes it ridiculous? You know what makes it ridiculous? God never said this. God never once wanted the Sabbath day to be a, a burden. He wanted it to be something glorious, you know. And so, um, so when, the, when it came to the Sabbath, it ceased from being what God intended it to be, uh, like a day of blessing, a day of consecration, a day of rest. They came up with their own man-made uh, man rules and their traditions, and uh, they were almost afraid uh, to try to even keep it for some people. It just ruined it. It ruined it for uh, uh, their relationship with God and with the temple and with worship and... Um, and so, again, they're not, they're not being accused by breaking the Ten Commandments, keeping the Sabbath. They're being accused of breaking their law, the man-made laws. And I'll tell you something, guys. Anything that you add to the Scriptures, it can be unsafe. It can be very risky. It can be very dangerous. Why? Because it really does threaten your relationship with God. Whenever you... Now, everyone's used it, you know, use... The, um, the, the, the text, if any man adds or subtracts, let him be accursed and all that. Well, that, that really deals with um, um, prophecy. Not so you add to the book of Revelation, take away from the book, you know, let him be enough. But there's still a danger just putting in your own two cents. You know, well, I think that everybody should be in church every Sunday and they better be at the nine or 11 or they're out of fellowship with God. Well, where does it say that? In fact, Jesus, when he kind of challenges them on that, he's going to show them how ridiculous it is. So the only thing adding to the scripture that it's going to create is it's going to be a burden. It's going to make you miserable. And, and eventually your heart, his heart, God's heart, I meant, um, will never line up. It'll never line up. You know, it's like when you're misquoted. You ever, how's that feel when somebody just misquotes you? Somebody just says something that's completely not true. Doesn't it just grieve you? You just, you want an audience. You want to defend yourself. You just want to say, no, it's not true from crying out loud. I never once said that. I, that's not me. I'm a lovable guy. And yet it just hurts your heart. It just kills you sometimes. Well, just think of how God feels. You can't bear, you can't put your false teeth on, Sunday, you know, Saturday. You, you, you know, you, you can't walk so many, but so many paces on, on. It's not in there. Listen, there, we are not under any Sabbath law. And the reason why I say that with such conviction is because Jesus said he fulfilled all the laws. Um, when you look at the Old Testament and you look at this, the sabbatical law, what you see is a, uh, is a picture you just see a picture of what God is, is going to provide for us. So many um, pictures in the Old Testament, allegories, types, stuff like that. And it just says, this is what I'm going to eventually have with you. I am going to have this kind of relationship with you. And when we read through the scriptures, we discover that Jesus becomes our Sabbath rest. Now, I'm not saying 
it's not a good idea to have a day where you guys can get together with your families and reflect and just, in fact, I encourage you to do that. But can you imagine if I, if I kept this? You guys wouldn't see me today. I'd be home rusting, you know. So anyway, I thought it was funny. But I want you to do me a favor, though, guys. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, if you would, please. Colossians chapter 2. And we'll pick it up at verse 11. I know that um, there are those that it, it is. It's, it's a conviction to them that they keep the Sabbath. They're, and actually they have the t- title as Sabbath Keepers. Uh, one group is called the Seventh-day Adventists. And personally, I think there are a lot of fine people in that, in that church. And there's, I even believe there are even saved, some of them. But when you go back to where their uh, uh, original dogmas were, were kind of created, their, their, um, their, I guess, what you would call their distinctives, years ago what they said that if you did not keep the sabbath day which would be worshiping on saturday that was equivalent um uh, to taking the mark of the beast now uh, um but it doesn't say that in the scriptures at all they're just adding to uh, that we're not under that law anymore and we're going to see this in in this text starting with verse 11 in whom also are you circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Let me try to paraphrase this for you. When you came to Christ, eyeballs here, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but you were not circumcised with physical procedures. It was done spiritually. He goes on and he says in verse 12, he says, buried uh, with him in the ba- with uh, with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the f- the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. Spiritually, we were buried in Christ. Spiritually, we've been resurrected with Christ. And as a result of that spiritual baptism and resurrection, listen, kids, we live a new life now. That's why we use the term "born again." We're alive today. Paul said you were once dead in the trespasses of sin, but now you've been brought into a new life. We are alive today. And what would destroy this life and this excitement and this and just this what would is then to add that which would kill that relationship, namely the law, especially man-made, man-made traditions and uh, man's ideas. Let's keep going down. He says in verse 13, you being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has quickened together with him, having given all, um, having forgiven you of all your trespasses. And again, he's just kind of repeating himself. You know, you were once dead in your sins because of your sinful nature. But now because he has cut away that fleshly sinful nature, you are now made alive in Christ. And listen. I don't know about you. That's pretty exciting to me. To think, man, I was once dead. I thought I was alive. I, but now that I'm alive, I, I look back and I go, boy, was I dead. I couldn't have been any deader to the things of God. Deader. 
No, is it? No, no. Harryism. Mark it up. You guys that are writing that book. I mean, you just, you feel dead. You just, there's no life in you. The excitement is if I could get stoned, if I get in trouble again. But then you meet Christ and you're just like breathing spiritual, fresh air. And you're alive. I remember that night my my brother walked into the bedroom and he just looked at me. He knew something happened. I just, I'm, I'm alive. I just accepted Jesus. And it was just a glorious thing. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance, the laws that were against us which were contrary against us and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And that's exactly how he did it. Everything that even these guys were penning out against mankind, he was nailing to the cross, you know, past sins, things that I'm struggling with now, things and God forbid, maybe that I would fall into. And I'm not giving you an excuse to do it, but past, present, future, all nailed to the cross. And when someone accepts that, he experiences new life. He's been baptized into his death, baptized into his resurrection, baptized into his life, and you have life, and you have life more abundant. Amen, guys? Come on, give me a better amen than that. That's exciting. All right, slow down, Harry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Um, Look at verse... uh, for 15, having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. How? Because of the cross, triumphing in over death. He has just embarrassed the spiritual rulers and principalities. That's why I don't buy into this. And I'll never will. Devil made me do it. Devil didn't make you do that. Are you kidding me? Maybe your flesh? The devil, he they're not, he's not even messing with you. He's probably messing with Obama and Hillary, something like that. But he's not messing with you. Sorry, I don't, I'm not political at all. Those names just kind of fell out. No, he, you know who he's messing with? He's, he, he, he's messing with the, like the Greg Laurie's. He's got the gift of evangelism. He's messing against church leaders who are standing up for grace, mercy, and truth. He's messing with people, you know, that he's trying to cripple the church so it's not effective. You and I, we're just dealing with the buck privates of the demonic kingdom at best. But the, your struggle really, folks, listen, is your flesh. And we always want to blame Satan for it. The, the flesh is at war with the spirit. The spirit's at war with the flesh. They're in contrary with one another. You know what my spirit wants to do? Glorifying God. My flesh wants to stay in bed. You know, and it goes like that. On and on and on. It's just the flesh. So what does the Bible, oh, what does the Bible say to do with that? Reckon the old man dead. It has no power over you, man. So don't give me the line, oh, the devil got into my life. He did not. Okay. Verse 16, don't let any man judge you in meat or drink or in respect of the holidays, moon days, or even the Sabbath day. Don't let anyone condemn you. Don't let anyone condemn you. You might have the conviction to worship on Saturday, and that's A-OK. You might have a dietary law. Hey, God bless you. you got more power than I do. You know, you might, you might have a certain conviction over a certain holiday you have to keep. But you can't make that a law as if it came from God. No one can judge you for that. He says in verse 17, which are only shadows of things to come. Remember I said in the Old Testament, it's very picturesque. It's got allegories. It's got typology. It's got all this stuff. But it's pointing us to Jesus and a relationship we can have with God that brings us that sabbatical rest. Go ahead back to Matthew chapter 12. 
And as you're turning there, I just want to read one more cross-reference for you. Romans 14, 5 says this. One man esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded or convicted in his own mind. He that regards a day regards it unto the Lord. He that regards not the day... To the Lord he does not regard it. He that eats, eats to the Lord. And he that gives thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord. He eateth not and giveth thank, or God thanks. You know, guys, the reason we do keep the, um, we don't keep the, or we keep Sunday more or less as our day of rest is, well, oh, logic, it's the best time. Half of you guys are off on Sunday. Well, most of well, you're here. All of you are off. And um, it's just, a, just, it works out. There are some country, I think Nepal is one, you can ask Jerry, but I think they do worship on a Saturday. For some reason, it just works that way. Um, Another reason is because when we look at the early church, they worshiped on Sunday. They did not worship on a Saturday. They tried to. They tried to keep the the sabbatical law and go to church every every Sabbath, but it just didn't work. They couldn't go to a, a, a synagogue, sit there on a Sabbath and talk about Jesus. They were being persecuted. So they found that it was easier and safe to just do it on a Sunday. So they started doing it on the Sunday. And we know that to be true. Acts chapter 20, when Paul was penning it out to the church, he says, uh, upon the first day of the week, when the, ch- when, when the disciples came together to break bread, the first day of the week, it was Sunday. First Corinthians chapter 16, when they were taking up a, a collection, he says in uh, chapter or verse two, upon the first day of the week, let everyone be led. And he's talking about an offering. They met on Sunday. So we meet on Sunday. This, but it's, no, it's not a big deal, you know. Um, now here, we're going to notice Jesus' rebuke here now to, the, um, to these Pharisees. And I think it's, it's worth mentioning. You'll notice in verse 3 where it says, have you not read? You notice in verse 5, he says it again, have you not read in the law? And then a little further down in verse 7, he says, if you had known what it means. And again, it's in reference to an Old Testament scripture verse. And he could say, have you not read? Now, he's giving them examples. And he's giving them why they're so out of touch with the law of God. And why they're so out of touch with the heart of God. Notice again in verse 3. He says unto them, have you not read what David did? When he was a hungered, he was really hungry. And them that were with him, David's mighty men. How he entered into the house of God and he did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat. Neither for them which were with him. It was only for the priest. That was a Mosaic law. It was forbidden for anyone to touch that showbread except for the priest. He was the only one. What is the table of showbread? If you were to walk into their tabernacle, which was that portable tent, to the right-hand side of them, you would see a a table roughly around three feet off the ground. And it was large enough to hold 12 loaves of bread. And each loaf of bread represented one of the tribes of Israel. So as soon as they would walk in, they'd see the menorah on the left, or yeah, the menorah on the left, they'd see the table of showbread on the right. It reminded them of the nation of Israel and the 12 different sons of Jacob, the tribes of Israel. They specifically said no one could touch that. And the rule was it was to stay out for just one week. 
And then it was to be eaten only by the priest and his family and then made again for another week. And that was the law. So Jesus, and it's kind of weird, but Jesus brings up this thought, right? Where haven't you read about what David did? Now, remember, David was a national hero. Still is over there today. You go to Israel, all you see is the star of David. It was David and his mighty men. And there was this thing in 1 Samuel chapter 21. You can read it when you go home. But there was this incident where David was anointed the king, the king of Israel. But the problem was Saul was still king. And Saul, King Saul, he wasn't down with that. He, what he did, he started to chase David around. He started persecuting David. He wanted to kill David, right? So he had to run and he had to run so get out of Dodge so quickly. He didn't take any food with him. So now they're getting famished. Now they're very hungry. They're at that point where they think they're starving to death. And they come to this small little village called Nob. And there in Nob, there was the priest, the high priest. And his name was Abimelech. David goes up to Nob and he says, or up to Abimelech, man, I'm hungry. I really need something to eat. And my men, they need something to eat. And the, and the high priest, now I don't know if he gets word from God, but he does something that just almost contradicts what the law of God says. He steps back. He looks at these guys. He looks at David. He goes, I got to ask you a question, Dave. He goes, you, 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 you've kept yourself pure morally. Now, I'm not going to go in it. You can into it. You can read it on your own. But David, keep yourself pure. Yeah. You guys. Yep. I haven't touched it. You're pure. And then Abimelech gives him the bread to eat. That breaks God's law. And what is the point there? Does one thing supersede another? Does, does human need where somebody might die supersede even what God says sometimes? That's what it indicates here. Now listen, what he's saying, what the, Phar- uh, the Pharisees are saying, one, one, one size fits all. It's a black and white kind of thing. You know, left, right, you just, you don't go either, you just stick. And, and, but in this case, God either lays it on Abimelech's heart, but he knows that something supersedes even what God had said when it came to the table of show bread. And he goes, hey, it was right for Abimelech and it was right for David to eat the men or eat, eat the men. That's how hungry they really were. You know, they were fighting camels. No, um. And what he's saying to these religious leaders is it was right for them to pluck the ears of the corn. And, it, and you think about it. They were holding their traditions such as you can't pluck grain. You can't do this. You can't. They were holding that even above the, the original Ten Commandments. You've got to keep the Sabbath day holy. You know. And so um, I, it, I think that what's being said here, that David's needs was urgent enough. Now, now, wait a minute. Are we saying that it's okay now to break the law of God? No, David never did this again. It's never mentioned once. And it would be equivalent to say this. You know what? Yeah, I got caught stealing another car, but I'm kind of like David, you know. No, no, that's not what he is trying to say here. Now, listen, the second um, reason or example that he was trying to give to them is uh, there mentioned in verse five. Have you not read in the law how the Sabbath day, um, the Sabbath days, the priests in the temple, well, they profane the Sabbath and are blameless. 
And what is he trying to say here? He goes, look, you're laying all this trip on all these people and what they can do and what they can't do. You're forbidding them to look into a mirror. They can't wear their pores, their false teeth. They can't drag it. And yet you just look over there in the Temple Mount and you see a ton of priests working away. What gives? Little hypocrisy there. No, no. What God is saying, for my people, I want them to do this. For them, they've got to do that. It is not one size fits all. Now, listen, guys, if you're struggling with this and you're thinking that what I'm saying is it's okay to live any way you want to live. Because, no, Romans chapter 6, and I'll just quote the first couple verses. For what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? He uses a word, um, God forbid, which literally means let that thought die. Don't even let it linger around. God forbid. And then he goes in again about death, burial, resurrection. We don't want that need. We don't want that. But we don't live by the letter of the law where we'll let another human being starve to death and keep our laws. Does that make sense? And the third uh, example that he gives them there. Um, <clears throat> I'm fast forwarding for my, because of my time. Oh, sorry, guys. Oh, there you are. The third example he gives them is uh, to show them how, how out of touch they were with God's heart is in verse 7. If you, had, if you had known what it means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And the point he is making here... Or I should say, maybe the uh, question he's answering is this. How safe, um, how, how can we be safe when it comes to interpreting the Bible then? I mean, if we can't look at a Bible verse like back there in First Samuel where it's forbidden, but yet God says, you know what, in this case, it's okay. Where do we find the, the, the point where it's okay to take one thing one way and another thing another way? And Jesus had kind of nailed it on the head here when he said, I will have mercy and, and not sacrifice. I would rather have mercy than sacrifice. And if you had mercy, you would not have condemned the disciples. And um, when you think of that, guys... When you think about remembering mercy when we interpret the, the scriptures, or maybe what we want to do is we want to think of mercy when we um, start to counsel somebody or give some people um, some words of encouragement. If we keep the very foundation of that on his mercy, well, I think we'll be safe. Does that make sense? You know, when we, we think of um, Micah chapter 6, it's, where that verse comes from, and I'll read it to you. It says in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, Wherewith should I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings and with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn uh, for my transgression or the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? 
No, he has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what the Lord will require of thee. And these are it. To do justly. That it means just to do the right thing. It was the right thing for Abimelech to hand over that showbread. It was the right thing for Jesus to say, go ahead, boys, pluck that heads of grain and go ahead and rub it in your hands. Blow away that trap because this need supersedes any kind of written law to do the right thing. He says also <clears throat> to love mercy. You know, nowhere else in the Bible, nowhere does it repeat itself like that, where it says uh, to love grace. Oh, no, no, that that. Um, something is new every morning, like grace is new every morning. Salvation is new every morning. You know, just fill in the blank. Nowhere else in the Bible. But it says this about something that's new every morning and its mercies are new every morning. And we have to display that. We have to be people who know how to show mercy and not condemnation. And I believe with all my heart, Rich, you can make your way out. I believe with all my heart that's where you and I will always experience rest. What did Jesus say? Come unto me, all ye that, that are um, uh, heavy laden. No, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you what? Rest. You know, here they are on the Temple Mount. And they're going through all these traditions of men with pouring out certain pitchers of water and going through all these gymnastics. And then at the last day of that glorious feast, Jesus pops out in the middle of the crowd and he goes, wait a minute. If you are thirsty, if you're in need of rest, you come unto me and I'll give it to you. He didn't say, well, then keep every letter of the law. You know, if you can, just keep the, 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 you know, the crisp and precise commandments of God. And while you're at it, keep the 523 other laws that go along with it. And the 22 volumes of man-written traditions. Keep it all and you'll find rest for your soul. Never says that. Never. In fact, if Paul alluded anything, it was the only thing you're going to experience is death. You're going to experience spiritual death. You know, uh, in closing, guys... I just want to share, uh, I know I'm kind of hyper this morning, but um, I guess maybe I just felt challenged to get through this whole thing. So you, when you leave today, maybe you'll just consider it. Maybe in, in, in your heart, that witness is, I don't have this kind of rest. I'm always struggling. I'm always laboring. I'm always, you know, just trying to find the peace of God and the love and the mercy. I just... Yeah, I catch myself thinking if I just do this and do that and if I just labor more. And, but, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't have any rest in my life at all. I think rest comes from faith. Believing that we've been buried and resurrected into a new life with Christ. But I want to share this little story with you. It's a story from A.B. Simpson I picked up this week. It goes like this. A little fellow was sent to a country one summer by the Tribune Fresh Air Society. For the first time in his life, he was shown a bedroom in a small little farmhouse where he entered. He was told to sleep there. It was like, I'm sorry, it was like um, another world to this little fellow who always slept in the slums. Always found himself in a dark hallway or in the street. 
And as he surveyed the soft bed with its white spread and pillows, he felt sure that there must be a mistake. However, for a brief moment or two, he ventured to throw himself upon the spread and to feel for once in his life that he had laid upon a real bed. But fearing that the rightful owner would come in and find him there, he quickly slipped off and curled himself up onto the floor to sleep. In the early morning, the farmer's wife came in to see that, um, that all was well. And she gave a great explanation as she saw him curled up under the bed. It was only by a dint of much physical and mental persuasion that she was able to get him under the sheet and to make him believe that it was really for him. And this is A.B. Simpson's words. Alas, how many of God's children are like that poor little lad sleeping under a bed when they might be resting in the soft bosom of his everlasting life, enjoying the peace that surpasses all human understanding? It's faith. It's faith that the day that you cried out to Jesus for your salvation, that he took you up in his arms, no longer by the letter of a law, no longer. Listen, the Ten Commandments are, gl are glorious. Did God do away with the law? Paul the Apostle was said, no way. Those laws show us that we're in need of a Savior like this. And if you're here today and you're struggling and you just don't have rest, you don't have peace in your life, it only comes by knowing Christ and His resurrection. Let's stand together as we close out. I would like you just to lower your heads just for a moment, please. And I'll ask you the same question I asked the first service. Because I know what it's like thinking I got to do something, earn something. First couple of years of my walk with the Lord, I kind of got buried in that. The truth of the matter is, God, when you put your faith in him, he receives you as a son or a daughter. And there's not a parent in this room that's hearing my voice would make their son or daughter strive for their love. It just doesn't work that way. And if you're not experiencing that love and mercy and grace, would you just raise your hand quickly and then just lower it down so I can pray for you? Anyone else? Anyone else? I got the first, yeah, I see you. You know, I got the same response in the first service. Because that's just the way the enemy wants to toy with us. Earn it, work for it. When Jesus said, if any man comes unto me, I and in no wise would ever cast him aside. His arms are open wide. Even for those that might be here today, you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today's the day you do that. By just inviting him in. Knowing that he died for you, buried for you, rose from the dead for you. And you too can have new life. Father, I pray for all those that are just... Standing here today, God, especially for those that raised their hand and those that might be thinking about receiving you as their Lord and Savior for the first time. I do pray for them that you give them the faith. You call that repentance a gift. You call salvation a gift. They need to call, cry out to you, call out to you. Give them the faith, that measure of faith to do that now. 
for all those, God, that are just trying to earn something that you've already paid for. Lord, would you just reveal to them, for by grace are you saved through faith. You are, they are the apple of your eye, God. Please bring them into a, that kind of a relationship with you where they will grow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Listen, guys, if you're in need of prayer this, this afternoon, please make your way down. The prayer team is here. They'll pray with you. And again, if you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can do an altar call. could do it every week. But according to Billy Graham and other evangelists, you know what they say? When you do that, and it's not in the quietness of their own heart and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know what they say? Only 5% will continue to walk with the Lord. I want you to do this. You come down on your own. And you just get somebody and say, you know what? I need to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Or I need to shake this legalism today. And I need to walk in that newness of life. Amen? Love you guys.